Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as Pastor Kevin Diddley starts a new series entitled, All is Calm, All is Bright. Seven Bible passages that can bring peace and hope to the church in a time of chaos and uncertainty. For the last six Sundays in 2020 and the first in 2021, we're going to study the final seven passages of scripture that are part of our Church Fighter Versus Memory Program. We thought that in this time of chaos and uncertainty, the best thing that we can do is try to get in God's word deep into our hearts and lives. We are doing so that we might help each other be filled with peace and hope in these crazy COVID times. So, would you be willing to join us in this? Would you take up the challenge to memorize some or all of these passages? Would you be willing not only to finish 2020 by kneading God's word into your heart and mind and life, but to jump on 2021 with comfort, encouragement, and hope of the scriptures? Today's sermon is entitled, From Groaning to Glory, Pleading That Pleases and Persuades God. Let's worship together. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. We're just going to look at the fourth verse this morning. Some of us were sort of joking around with John um, around this uh, section that we've been preaching through in Revelation chapter 21 because last week he got to preach verses 1 to 3, but the real bullets for the gunner in verse (laughs) 4. And so he had to kind of pull himself up short. There was a lot to say in the first three verses, but we're working through the fighter verses. And verse 4 is is just a really powerful single verse that I hope this morning will become even more powerful instrument in your hand, in your life as a believer. And so uh, as you will recall, there is in Revelation 21, as we come to the end of the Bible and the end of the the narrative, the story of redemptive history in God, the climatic moment that this great promise is that God will dwell amongst his people. So we have this presence of God to look forward to. Now God is present with us now by the Holy Spirit, but he will come and there will be a perfected people who dwell in this beautiful, perfect place, a new heaven and a new earth. And so we have that um, to look forward to. But as you look to verse 4 this morning, I hope that you will take, I want to do a couple of things. I want you, first of all, would you take consolation from verse 4? Because what we see is the first act of God in the new heaven and new earth. If you want to look at 21, here is what God does. And uh, those of you who are dads, fathers, you uh, can relate to this. I have my daughter and son-in-law and my grandbabies from Honduras here right now, and uh, they're coming to the second service this morning, and I have had just a lot of fun (laughs) over the last couple days. But as a a father, you know what it's like, especially when your uh, children have been through pain and sorrow, that you want to do everything you can to get them in that place of safety and comfort and blessing. It just pulses in our hearts. And I want to give you a view of your heavenly father today. For you, no matter who you are, dad, a mom, a single person, someone who's been going through difficult things. This has been a difficult year, isn't it? Hasn't it been? And you know, one of the dangers of going through times of difficulty is we get gun shy in life. 
And sometimes the difficulties are cultural circumstances like we've been in. A lot of the difficulties are the relational pains that we've been through in church and family and those kind of things. And what do we want to do? What is it that the tendency for us is to do? The tendency for us is what? To withdraw, to shield ourselves, to um, kind of move us away from sorrows and sufferings. In the book of Revelation, John began by looking at the, early, the, the churches at the beginning of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is written to give us a triumphant picture of Jesus so that while it hurts and the world is dark, we move forward with hope. Isn't that a great reality? It's to get you back in the game. It is to put you back on the court. It is to re-engage you in the vision of God. And I think this is a great... Uh, text to be in our fighter verses coming to the end of 2020 and to say to you we probably got comfortable in the cave in Minnesota we go in the cave in the winter anytime right Uh, we go back in the garage doors close we pull out we carry on with life we can metaphorically do that with our lives we can just find ourselves withdrawing we can find ourselves pulling back and and what I want you to see is that there is freedom to take risk for the gospel in the, in the uncertainty of this life because we know he will make all things well one day. And so here's the reality. I can't fix myself fully in this life. I can't find my comfort fully in this life. I can't end my sorrows in this life. Wouldn't you like just to take a pill and the problems would be gone? But here's the promise of God. One day, in a moment, he, he himself will come and heal his people fully. He will heal his um, people fully. So would you go to Revelation 21 in verse 4? And uh, so I robbed John of the joy of preaching that last week, but I didn't set up the fighter verses. I was just following them. (laughs) So uh, here's Revelation 21.4. So even as I read, I just want to set you up. Let me just set you up for this. As I read verse 4, remember this is God acting towards his people. This is the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem coming down, and the Father appears. God dwells amongst his people. What's the first thing he's going to do in this text? Verse 4. This is what it says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Would you let that in the power of the Holy Spirit settle on you this morning? Is that your view of God? This is your God. This is the God of the Bible. This is the climactic moment. If you don't think he cares about you, listen to the first. What would you do as a father when your kids walk through the door? Do you know I stood there at the doors opening at MSP? My kids are the slowest kids getting off the plane. I know they're wrestling kids. I thought, man, they missed the flight. But I'm just sitting there because I don't want to. And then you start thinking in your head, they probably came through another gate, right? They're probably at baggage claim number four from the far end of the airport. I'm at the wrong gate, you know. And then finally the elevator comes down and I hear, Fafa. I have a little, little inkling of a father's love but nothing like a heavenly father's love. 
he will wipe away every tear. Listen to what it says from their eyes. And death will be no more, shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. So I I have to tell you this. Initially, the reason why there's mourning and crying and pain at this moment is only because it's necessary. In his wisdom and in his goodness, he is dealing with it as it is necessary. But I'll tell you this. He will lean in and eradicate it forever. So he does not delight to see his children suffer. And, and you and I, when we get... Uh, you have, any of you ever... Probably not, but... You ever get a book and you think, I'm going to read the last chapter before I get going? So sometimes you should go to Revelation 21 and 22, start at the end, because your whole view of the story of redemptive history would be described and understood in light of this text. What is he doing at the beginning? What is he doing before the foundation of the world? What is the heartbeat of God? Dane Ortland, in his book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, talks about uh, Thomas Goodwin's book, The Heart of Christ, and he says when he takes the book in Hebrews chapter three or four, where he talks about Christ being our heart, uh, high priest. Goodwin says, it's as if the writer takes your hand and puts it on the heart of Christ so you can hear it beat. And I feel like in Revelation 21, four, God takes our hand and puts it on his heart and says, let this beat. Hear my heart. Did I want the curse? Did I want the pain? I sovereignly have orchestrated all these things that you might know my glory, but this is not the end of the story. The end of the story is a new world where none of these things will ever exist. And then the last statement in 21 verse 4 is this, for the former things have passed away. You want to put it that way, here's the final funeral. And the final funeral will when be God will bury in the depths once and for all sin and death and the curse so his children will never hurt, cry, or suffer again. Is that not good news? So listen to this uh, old uh, song by Robert Lowry. Uh, that I think we have it up there. This is an old hymn. It says, My life flows on in endless song. Above earth's lamentation, I hear the real though far off hymn that hails a new creation. Do you have that hymn? should be a hymn going through, even though it seems far off. It's, it's the sound of the coming of the King. No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock I'm clinging since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. How can I keep from singing? Hasn't that been the truth of the people of God down through the ages? Singing in strange places. Weeping and rejoicing simultaneously. 
Singing a song that you only hear the faint realities of, but it's coming with ever-increasing power and reality and strength. And one day, the choir will be ready to burst forth and song. What a day, what a day that will be. Aren't you looking forward to that day? Longing for that? So I just want you to know as we get to the end of Revelation and we hear this, that this is the song that has been humming all the way through the Bible. It's been going on all the way through the Bible. In fact, if you read, and John mentioned this last week, but if you read through the book of Revelation, um, the, the apostle John is actually repeatedly echoing Old Testament texts. So when we hear these things, he's not coming up with a new idea under the pressure of the Roman Empire and Nero and his persecution that John went through. John himself is singing the ever-increasing song of the prophets that had begun in the beginning of a father who would come and comfort his people. And he quotes Isaiah a lot. And so Isaiah says a lot of this, Isaiah 25 and 35 and 51 and 67. You keep hearing this, no more crying there. And he'll wipe away every tear and death shall be no more. So let me read to you from Isaiah 25. And on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. This is the ultimate Christmas feast. This is the feast above all feasts. The wine, of course, is a metaphor for exuberant joy. Why have you saved the best wine for last? What a day that'll be. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that has cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all the nations. What's the veil? He will swallow it up. We will drink of his wine and he will swallow up all our darkness he will swallow up death forever and the lord will wipe away their tears from all their faces the hand of god on your cheek wiping away your very real tears he will do that do you understand this is 700 years before christ And there is a song that is sung with ever-increasing fervor in the Bible. He is this God, moved and affected by your sorrows and your struggles. And sometimes you struggle and say, I cannot fix it. No, but one day he will. He will swallow up death. He will wipe away the tears. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. How do we know it's true? For the Lord has spoken. He has decreed it, he has promised it, and his word cannot be broken. Isn't that great? The triune God within the Godhead has said, one day, I will say it is enough. It is enough. 
No more crying there. We are going to see the king. No more crying there. We are going to see the king. You ever sung that song? Isn't that a sweet song? They were singing this 700 years before the coming of Christ. And the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken, and it will be said on this day, Behold, this is our God. And we waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We waited for him. Let's be glad and rejoice in this salvation, in his salvation. Isn't that a great day? Would, will, will we not sing that? Will we not say that? This is our God. And so as we come into Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, could I on this day give you three coals to warm your souls today? Here's my thesis from Revelation 21. There is a delightful but crucial ministry given to all Christians to point one another back to the unshakable promise of God. The Lord has spoken. And ahead to the glorious plan of God in order that we might all share the peace of God by faith. Got that? God has said this is what he will do. Let's look ahead to what he will do and let's live now in light of it. Yes, I have sorrows. Yes, I have tears. But these things are true. And so I want you to put your hand on the chest of the Father right now in Revelation chapter 21 and feel the pulse of the Father's heart and to, and to take the warmth of these coals. Listen to what Richard Baxter says. If you would have light and heat, why are you not more in sunshine? Most of us say because it's December in Minnesota. But, <laughs> but you know what? It, he says here, For want of this recourse to heaven, your soul is as a lamp not lighted, and your duty is a sacrifice without fire. He's saying because you do not come into these promises of heaven, your, your heart's cold. Your strength is weak. You become pale and emaciated in the cold Arctic wilderness of this world. He says, fetch one coal daily from the altar. That's pretty good for going back to Isaiah. Remember Isaiah, full of sense. My, he sees the holy, holy, holy God. And he says, I woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And the Lord says, go get a coal from the altar and place it upon his lips. And he says, whom shall I send? And he says, here I am. And that says this Baxter saying, go get a coal from the, from the hearth place of heaven, the hope of heaven. Let it warm your soul and re-engage you. Keep close, he says. Fetch one coal daily from this altar and see if your offering will not burn. Keep close to this revi reviving fire and see if your affections will not be warm. So in Isaiah, when he repeatedly goes back to this hope of a new day where God will come and establish his people and wipe away every tear, he says this in Isaiah 35, another text. He says, strengthen the weak hands and make Make firm the feeble knees. Do you know where else that's said in the Bible? Does it come to Hebrews? Exactly. Hebrews. 
Again, isn't it not true that God's people need to continually be strengthened? Strengthened to live for him. Be reminded of the reality of these surpassing beauty and promises of God in Jesus Christ. Let's get a vision of heaven. Let's go get a call from the promises of God. Let's bring them close to us so we can warm our hands and hearts. So we can get ready and go back outside into the mission of God. Without being warmed by these promises we'll find that we are no longer available for the service of the king because the pain is too deep, the grayness is too dark, the hope is too faded. We need this. So here's, here's what I want you to see in this text in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. Here are the three calls. You need to repeatedly tell one another of the tender heart of God. You need to repeatedly celebrate the sorrow swallowing power of God. Got that? I love that. I've been thinking about that. The sorrow swallowing. That's the language of the Bible. He will swallow it. Right? The sorrow swallowing power of God and then finally rejoice in the redemptive resolve of God and no more. This is not my resolve. This is not my cross my fingers. This is the spoken word of God. And so we say, what do we, how do we help one another? Well, sometimes what you've got to do is you have to speak to some people about the tender heart of God. This is your father. He'll wipe away every tear. Sometimes you have to tell people of the sorrow-swallowing power of God. No, of course you can't get over this, but he will do what you cannot do. He will heal what is impossible for you to heal in your own heart. Isn't that good news? Because sometimes we go to a thousand therapists and think I'm the craziest person on the planet. But the problem is we're asking therapists to do ultimately what only heaven can do for us, which is to heal these deeply broken wounds and correct these seemingly indelible crooked marks upon our souls. And sometimes we need to just remind people that God is resolved redemptively to do the whole thing, to deal with the whole past. And next week we're going to go into the future. I'm just talking about the past, the brokenness. So let's, let's go through this together. Here's the first thing. Christians, we need to remind, repeatedly tell one another of the tender heart of our God. Our ultimate redemption is anchored in his incredible and unfailing compassion. So that's why I want you to look at verse 4 and see, where do we start here? Where do we start? We start, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, I have these little grandchildren running around right now, and, and the parents have to keep... I'm called Fafa. So they got to keep Fafa from running in and rescuing them every time, you know, they, there's a bump and bruise. Fafa? Now, I would never have done that with my kids. I'd toughen them up, you know. But now that they're not my kids, these are the grandkids. These parents are just brutal. No. 
There's no compassion, man. There's no, no, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but you know that there's this tendency. My, my dear friends, I have a very shallow, fallible, minuscule sense of the Father's inclination. But when you come to 21.4 and you look into the Bible, you'll see from Genesis chapter 3, the Father clothing sinners with His garments and promising this serpent will be crushed by the heel of my own Son. The Bible reads differently when you tell people God is a tender Father. Let me just remind you, Isaiah 6 begins with Uzziah having a vision of God. And how is God described? Holy, holy, holy. And then Isaiah is filled with the promises of a merciful and redemptive father. Those things are not in contradiction to one another. And I feel sometimes that we feel like we have to fall on one side or the other. But here's the reality. You know why God is so opposed to sin and corruption? Because he sees its ultimate effect on the human soul. It's against his nature, and he acts for his namesake. But let's not just say on one hand that God simply does it for his own sake, because for his own sake, he is honoring and glorifying his mercy and his grace towards his children. This is to the glory of God that he wipes away every tear and destroys death and sends his son as a savior. That's why we celebrate Isaiah 53. That's the holiness of God and what makes him different than any other. He is not Allah, capricious and unpredictable and unpromisable. This is the God who promises to deliver his children. No, a mother might forget her children. The scripture reads, but he will not forget his own. Friends, we need to say that and sing that. So here's, here's what I want you to see in verse 4. Your God personally knows your sorrows. Psalm 56 says, You have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in a bottle. And are they not in your book? How many of you keep good diaries? How many of you keep good accounts, right? Are you good at writing and keeping details? Do you understand that the Father keeps account of every tear that falls from his children? And sometimes we ask the question, where are you, God? And he can and will show one day, I have never and will never leave you or forsake you. He personally knows your sorrows. He deeply cares. I mean, you can tell what someone thinks by the way they react the moment that they see you. The moment all things are made new. He's not boasting. He's not, hey, come and look at the new Jerusalem over here as if it's a building. It's, you are his people. It's a people. It's a perfected people. And I envision the, the, it's the glory of the Father who comes down. He comes down. Isn't that a sign that one of the my kids aren't here right now. I'm not sure I'll say it in the second service. But one of the rules I have as a grandfather is I get 
on the floor with the kids. I lay in the snow. Let them crawl. Joaquin, 16 months. Let them crawl all over me and poke me in the eye and pull on my beard and ears and do whatever he wants. Because what does he need to know? I will come down to him. Because my father, my father deeply, deeply cares about everything. Isn't that good news? The story of the Bible is that of all the gods who say, come up to me, meet me, he meets us right where we're at. And then it says, your God directly comforts. Isn't that one of the hard things? This is one of the most, and again, I'll just be careful here between first service and second service. I don't know if I need to do this all the time, but greatest heartbreak for me with my children has been my inability to comfort them at their deepest wounds. When you realize you can't be God for them. Right? And so what, what we have in this God is a God who is not only able but willing to come down and minister to you personally and directly. On that day, you will know more than ever how deeply loved you are and how directly concerned God is with you as an individual who feels unnoticed and anonymous on planet Earth. You are never unnoticed. You are never anonymous before your heavenly Father. He knows every star by name. And you are far more valuable to him. Is that good news? So friends, let's sing of the tender heart of God. He loves you more than any preacher has ever preached. Every, the best song about the love of God. Isn't it funny how sometimes as old as we get, as long as we get, we track back to the simplest of songs. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So that's the first thing. Let's repeatedly tell one another of the uh, tender heart of God. And uh, Dane Ortland in that book, Gentle and Lowly, says, you might know that Christ died and rose again on your behalf to rinse you clean of all your sin, but do you know his deepest heart for you? Do you live with an awareness not only of his atoning work for your sinfulness, but also his longing heart amid your sinfulness? When you did your worst deed, when you thought your worst thought, he leaned in, not looked away. Elvis left the building. God never did. Lowly gentleness is not one way Jesus occasionally acts towards others. Gentleness is who he is. It's his heart. The deeper into weakness and suffering and testing we go, the deeper Christ's solidarity to, uh, with us. As we go down into pain and anguish, we are descending ever deeper into Christ's very heart and not away from it. Boy, we need to hear that over and over and over again. Okay, quickly, two other things. We need to comp compassionately proclaim the sorrow-swallowing power of God. The God who decisively removes our sin in Christ will decisively remove our sorrows as well. You got that? 
So the gospel is not simply the cold reality of a unsinful or unholy people being saved by a sinless Savior. He has redeemed us from our sins because with the same zeal and with the same son and with the same offering, he has secured the end of all our sorrows. He's come with grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. So we just need to tell each other that. Sometimes you need to tell, you know, your father deeply cares about you. And sometimes you need to say, he is going to compassionately come and remove this sorrow. Some people know God loves them, but what they need to realize is that this sorrow that seems like it can't be shaken, and that's true. I mean, there's just some sorrows that are hard to shake. There's a heartbroken. If you haven't been heartbroken like this, I, I hate to say it, but you probably will be. It's hard to negotiate these worlds, but he will come and decisively take it away. Isaiah 25 says, he will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face, remove the disgrace from his people, from the whole earth. See, so who's doing this? The Lord God will wipe away the tears. He will remove the disgrace. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Isaiah 65, 17 to 19. This is the song. For behold, I will create a new heavens and new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Wow. Isn't that inconceivable? I can't make that happen. I can't imagine that happening. But it says, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be gladness. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Who has spoken? Death shall be no more. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. This has characterized us. This has been the year of death hanging over the world. It'll never happen again. In the new heaven and the new earth, there'll never be a shutdown like 2020. Randy Alcorn says, Often God has wiped away my own tears as I comp contemplated potentially faith-jarring situations. I have been, I've been left not in despair, but with great hope that defies description and a peace that transcends understanding. Notice what he says there. This is what Philippians 4 says, right? That he gives us a peace that's beyond what? Comprehension. I just got a note, Christmas night. I got a note from a writer, Lancia Smith. She has a a blog and does writing on cultivating project and uh, she said I want you to read this blog and it's the story it's Lancia's biography of Christmas it was Christmas when she was 12 years old caught in a snowstorm and her mom was killed she was there and she tells the remarkable she wrote her biography she wrote it on Christmas Eve and, and uh, she tells the story of how God met her as a 12-year-old girl and has moved her to a place of wonder. But the way she describes it is to say it was an act of God that brought me through. It wasn't an act of will. And that's what God has promised. 
promised to do what is humanly impossible, to wipe away every tear and to remove every remembrance, as Isaiah said, of the deepest sorrows. The deepest sorrows and stains will be gone. You think they're indelible, but they're not to him. I can't explain it, but he will do it. Isn't that good news? And then finally, we need to rehearse and rejoice in the redemptive resolve of God. God will say once and for all, no more. Notice that phrase in verse 4, and it comes through all the way. He will wipe away every tear, and death shall be what? No more. And it will say, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. Leviticus 26, in the old covenant, God said, And you shall eat bread to the full and dwell in the land, and securely I will give peace in the land. You shall lie down. None shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you and be your God who brought you out of Egypt. Now, if you read that section in Leviticus, it was part of the covenantal agreement. But if you turn away from me, right? The opposite. And what did they do? They turned away. The book of Revelation ends with not us fixing ourselves, but God redeeming and rescuing us. And for the sake of his son, he will say, no more. No more death. The old things. Let's have a funeral for the fallenness of the world. Let's have a funeral for the curse. Let's call it a day. Let's say it's over. And God will stand over all creation and all the pain and all the death and all the weeping and all the sin. And he will say, with the word of the Lord, which has all authority over angels and all things on earth, no more. When he says no more, we will fall. We will fall. We will rejoice in our weariness. And we won't believe it and we'll begin to laugh like we've never laughed before. Can you believe it? Never, never, never again. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered to come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I create for I create Jerusalem to be a joy, her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in him. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Anybody on for that? Anybody want to hear that? Jesus. Jesus secured by his first coming, the glorious no more of the second coming. And the no more is not the whole story. The no more is just the end of that story. As C.S. Lewis says, and now the real story begins. Aren't you looking forward to that day? But today, let's just say no more. Want to say it? Say it out loud. No more. One more time, louder. No more. I want to be great when it comes from him. Let's pray together. So God in heaven, as we 
come to the end of 2020. We thank you, dear God, that this year has been a picture of the whole history since the fall in the garden. A small, small picture of what can happen with death and sorrow and chaos, brokenness, confusion and anger and frustration. And Heavenly Father, we just come back and thank you that this is our God. Oh, I pray, it seems, that it's too good to be true at times. But soon, and very soon, we're going to see the King. And you, the tender-hearted Father, you will come with the zeal of your word and promise. And you will minister to each of your children, bringing us together as one glorious bride to savor a new day. And all things old will be passed away. We praise you. We lack the words, the heart, the the ability even to hardly see it. But show us the way home. Give us fresh strength. Help us to take a coal out of the fire each day to warm our hearts and to move forward. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.